you do it right to save because you work too hard for your money not to. Lowe's is here to help with special Labor Day savings throughout the store. When you buy a DeWalt two-tool combo kit featuring a drill and impact driver, you get a DeWalt bear tool for free. Choose from a reciprocating or circular saw, angle grinder, or 20-volt battery. And update your appliances and get up to 40% off select appliance special values. This Labor Day, do it right for less. Start with Lowe's. Tool offer valid through 828. Appliance offer valid through 911 U.S. only. But against Hello, hello, and welcome everyone to the Gangster Party, otherwise known as the Lone Gunman Podcast. This is your boy Rob Clark coming at you. And uh, the opening was an homage dedicated to Ralph Senkay, who finally decided to respond to the podcast I did on Doorway Man by simply not addressing any of the points I made as his M.O. and resorting to a personal attack by calling me a thug. And he said he couldn't, he couldn't listen past the opening because I sounded like a thug. So he didn't want to lower himself down to have to put up with my horrible vernacular. Now, <laughs> this is, it makes me laugh. I mean, it's typical Ralph Sinkay, typical OIC, where you don't address the evidence and you just resort to personal attacks. You see, on that podcast, I told you point by point by point why. Oswald was not in the doorway. It's Billy Lovelady. Okay? And what do I get? Nothing. I get called a thug. Why? Because I say this is your boy, Rob Clark. This is how we talk in the South, Ralph. You're from Texas, dumbass. You ought to know people that have an accent. You know, I don't know how it is in in Texas, but over here, we don't play. And this is how I sound. This is where I grew up. This is my accent, so sorry if you don't like it. Uh, doesn't make me a thug. It just makes makes you once again look like an uninformed idiot. Uh, but hey, enough of Ralph K because he really doesn't deserve any any kind of response because he has no valid points. Everything he has is bullshit. And, you know, sorry if anybody doesn't like the fact that I cuss. I mean, this is, I keep it real. This is the way I speak normally. You know, you don't have to sound like an old, stuffy, Harvard-educated, pipe-smoking, jacket-wearing, fuddy-duddy to know anything about the assassination or to be interested in it. You know, this is me. Take it or leave it. It is what it is. But I'm I'm always going to keep it real. I'm always going to tell you exactly how I think, exactly what I think, how I feel, and you take the good with the bad, but I'm always going to keep it real. I don't believe in political correct bullshit. That's for uh, disillusioned people. This is the real world. This is a real podcast. I'm a real researcher. So, enough of that. Today, and I I wish I had some... uh, Mr. Rogers music to play in the, in the background because we're going to take a little trip to Fantasyland 
you know that place I love to go so much but this time Fantasyland is based on fact that's right we're going to incorporate the testimony of all these people involved and we all know the narrative of how things in that Texas School Book Depository supposedly went down but based on we're going to take a, a fresh look at what everybody testified to and we're going to line ourselves up a, a different narrative and all credit for putting together this narrative goes to Richard Gilbride a great JFK researcher you can find his work on the reopen Kennedy or yeah, reopen the Kennedy assassination forum that Greg Parker has uh, everything you go there this is called and it's based on what he calls the elevator escape theory now I've posted this in several groups to you know no response I guess nobody wants to take the time to read anything anymore that doesn't immediately apply to their, to their way of thinking but if you're listening to this Hopefully, you will listen to me give you my take on how things possibly could have went down. And this might take a while. I don't know. Just have to wait till we get into it. There might be two parts to this, part one and part two. But we'll see how it goes. We'll see how much time I got left. I'm going try to try to bang it out quickly but clearly because it's very convoluted and there's really no room to skip over anything so let's start at the beginning shall we okay the Texas School Book Depository their main building was 2,250 feet away from the building on Elm Street okay this is the same building that Wesley or I guess Frazier and and the rest of the employees had to park at okay because the lot directly behind the school depository was leased to to the city or the county for their office workers to park. So the people that worked in the book depository on Elm Street had to park very far away. Okay? I mean, very far. Um, now, this this has been the only in the main building for 20 or 30 years. Okay? Now, the owner of the building on Elm Street is uh, D.H. Bird who, if you don't know, as a wealthy, wealthy Texan who made most of his money in the oil business, he's also responsible for creating something called the Civil Air Patrol. Okay? Now, most of you have heard about the Civil Air Patrol and its correlation to the central character in all this, Lee Harvey Oswald. Because as a young man... He was part, or he joined up to the Civil Air Patrol, which is basically like a junior ROTC thing, you know, to get to get young men interested in, in joining the military or, you know, giving them fun stuff to do, like going camping on the weekends and, and doing drills, maybe shooting some guns. I mean, who knows what they really did. It's hard to say, but... We know from the picture evidence, because we have a picture of the Civil Air Patrol, and a young Lee Harvey Oswald is seen in the picture with David Ferry, 
who is another central character in all this whole assassination business. Okay? So, and he was kind of like a mentor to the group. And he was an established pilot. I mean, he knew he knew his flying stuff. And, uh, you know, he was in the military. So we have that. So we have them, <coughs> excuse me, we have them connected by knowing each other in the Civil Air Patrol. Now, Ferry would later deny even remembering Oswald, but his actions immediately after the assassinations are different. Um, you know, we have reports of Oswald having David Ferry's library card on him when he was arrested. We have reports of Ferry calling up Civil Air Patrol people, wondering about any photos they might have with the two of them together, things like that. So he knew... He knew something would, could could possibly tie him back to Oswald, and he wanted to not be tied to Oswald. Okay, so obviously, Ferry, being the commander, you know, being involved in the in the leadership part of the Civil Air Patrol, one can infer that he probably knew D. H. Bird, who owned this building on Elm Street okay now the building on Elm Street housed a lot of different things different times and had only just recently moved part of its operation over to this Elm Street building <clears throat> excuse me and I'm talking oof, Probably that August or September is when is when they moved part of their operations over there to that building from the main school book depository, which was some ways away. Um, of course, that itself isn't sinister, but the timing of it is a little suspect. Okay, so now if we take into account that is it suspicious that we have. A connection here between Oswald, Ferry, and Bird, all probably knowing each other. Okay, and by then they can infer possibly from inside sources that Kennedy's going to be coming to Dallas. I mean, I think they announced that earlier in the year, you know, probably. March or April, May, something like that. Which gave them time to plan something. Okay? So, it gave them time to plan to move part of their operations over here to this building on Elm Street. Okay? Now, we know the motorcade route was changed to accommodate them being able to get directly onto the Stemmons Freeway to go to the trademark. Which, of course, in itself is suspect, okay? But you have this fellow, Lee Harvey Oswald, getting a job at said building, you know, about six weeks before the assassination. And the Texas School Book Depository 
ran by Roy Truly, at least that operations part of it, was or had laid laid people off. Okay, they had, they had laid, I think it was seven or eight black guys off. But yet they hired a couple new people, Frazier and, and Oswald being two of them. Several of the other employees that were there, like Love Lady, uh, Williams, Bonnie Ray Williams, Junior Jarman, Harold Norman, a lot of these guys, Jack Doherty, they'd been there for a while, some from two or three years to 20 years. They'd been with the company. And a lot of their task in that building was they were laying new floor. Now, there was also orders being pulled by Oswald, Frazier, and possibly a couple other people. But the majority of people that we know about that day were on the floor crew, which were laying a new floor on the sixth floor. Okay. So now let's fast forward a little bit to JFK turning onto Elm Street. Okay, we have the Dillard photo, which if you haven't seen it, look it up, Google it, I'll post it on the Facebook page. You can see vaguely the image of two people on the sixth floor one is a vague image kind of behind the glass of a, of a, of a, a light skinned male possibly with glasses and then at the other end of the sixth floor you can see somebody with a white shirt kind of in the light of an open window and that one's not as clear um and we also see Junior Jarman and Harold Norman hanging out of the window of the fifth floor, right under the sniper's nest. Okay? And this is as Kennedy's going around the corner. Okay. They get around the corner. Shots are fired. We've got Love Lady and Shelly on the front steps. Okay, now Oswald is likely on the first, meandering around between the first and the second floor lunchroom during this time. He's seen by many people. And according to Bonnie Ray Williams, he was eating his lunch by himself up on the sixth floor as late as 1220. Okay. He then said that he came down from the 6th floor to the 5th floor to be with Junior Jarman and Harold Norman. And we have testimony from Jack Doherty that states that he was on the 5th floor when he heard the first shot. Now, Williams, Jarman, and Norman... Nowhere in their testimony do they ever refer to seeing Jack Doherty on the fifth floor. And never nowhere in his testimony does Jack Doherty ever testify to seeing Jarman, Norman, and Williams on the fifth floor. Okay? 
That's important. Remember that. All right, now as the shots ring out, okay, we have a guy that was on the... He was on the first floor. His name was Otis Williams. Who, who headed for the back stairs and was booking, booking it up to the fourth floor to use the telephone so he could call his wife to tell her what had happened. And this was immediately after the shots. Okay, I mean, he beat, he beat you know, Truly and Baker in. He beat everybody in. As soon as it happened, he was gone. He was heading for the fourth floor. Now, if we have two, either two snipers or a sniper and a spotter on the sixth floor, and this is all considering that we don't believe that Oswald was on the sixth floor shooting, okay? But, like I said, in the Dillard photo, we have... Two distinct individuals on the sixth floor. One in the very westmost window and one behind the window next to the sniper's nest. Which you could have very, very easily moved to and shot from. Now, okay, back to Otis Williams. Alright, so he's booking it up, up the back stairway. Okay, well we have two snipers on the sixth floor who need to get out of the building. Okay. The elevators are not on the sixth floor. They are on the fifth floor. Okay. So, as they're leaving, one of the guys stuffs the car, or the, it was either the probably the Mauser, behind the box on his way out of the sixth floor. Okay. Might have been the guy behind. They start going down the back staircase, but all of a sudden, they're like, oh shit, somebody's coming up. They heard Otis Williams coming up the steps, boom, 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 because he was, he was hitting it. He was headed for the fourth floor. They didn't know that, but they heard somebody coming up, so they duck into the fifth floor, okay? They don't see anybody. Just looking around. There is, let's see, let me see my notes. Okay, then we have, uh, they pass the rifle off to Jarman, Norman, and Williams, who hide it in the book bin on the fifth floor. And they go to the, the waiting elevator on the fifth floor, which we know had some operating problems that day, you know, even according to Roy Truly. Because Doherty stated that he was on the fifth floor, but he didn't hear Truly or Baker yelling up there to let to let the car loose. So we have Jack Doherty waiting in an elevator. The snipers go in and they proceed down to the first floor. Now we had Otis Williams racing up to the fourth floor okay and we also had a couple ladies coming down from the fourth floor Vicki Adams and Sandra Stiles 
who stated that when they reached the first floor, they saw two men, Bill Shelley by the rear door and Lovelady on the west side of the floor by the elevator. Okay. So now we have a getaway plan. Okay, it involves a lot of people. Okay, we had Doherty helping these helping the snipers down. We have Shelly and Lovelady on the first floor getting them out of the building. Okay, now in their testimony, there's there's a uh, discrepancy because Shelly and Lovelady say they headed for the grassy knoll, but Vicky Adams swore that she saw them on the first floor when she came in when she came down the steps which had to be after Otis Williams came up the steps and and after Truly and Baker came up okay so we're talking like a minute and a half two minutes okay which they probably got down the stairs as soon as the snipers got out of the building now with them safely out of the building, the guns hidden, one on the sixth floor, one on the fifth floor. Okay, we have, uh, back to Roger Craig, <clears throat> excuse me, who stated that he saw two men coming down the grassy knoll park there, and one of them looked just like Oswald and they got in the Nash Rambler and made their way out of there so if if the snipers Oswald look alike and, and, and another person got out of the back of the school book depository came around the side over towards the pergola area and then down the grassy part to a waiting Nash Rambler I mean, it's pretty ballsy to escape that way right there in front of the building, pretty much right where the president had his head blown off in the street. But uh, it is what it is. And the Odom's, Otis Williams' testimony was uh, not revealed until 1997 when he stated what he said about going up to the fourth floor. So this wasn't taken into account in the Warren Commission or the HSCA or anything like that. Nobody even knew he, he, he went up there back, back way to the fourth floor. It's new information as of 97. Okay, we have Vicki Adams putting Lovelady and Shelly by the rear door and by the elevator about a minute and a half, two minutes after the assassination. We have Jack Doherty and his wonky testimony that's contradicts itself all over the place but he was likely the elevator man uh, we know love lady was actually a fugitive on weapons charges and when he when he was employed when he got his job there and the FBI tracked him down he was you know charged or whatever he was we know Charles Givens had drug charges he had been in jail Bonnie Ray Williams was a postal worker in Dealey Plaza before he got his job at the school book depository 
And this is important because of Harry Holmes, who was who played a very important part in the assassination investigation. You know, he was even present during the interrogation of Oswald and responsible for you know the the, the P.O. box stuff and and finding the money order or not finding the money order but supposedly supplying the money order that Oswald had used but it was out of sequence and, and all this other stuff but he's a very important part of the narrative he you know he found the ad that supposedly this gun was was ordered from what whatever magazine it was in you know he had a lot of peripheral important parts to do with this thing and there's a pretty famous photograph and I'll post it up too um, of after the assassination where we have uh, Bonnie Ray Williams, Bill Shelley Danny Arce being taken down at gunpoint and put in a squad car and taken to the station I guess for interrogation and Danny Arce is another shady character that because we have him likely in the Alchins photo over by the Dow Text building with possibly a radio in his hand. Maybe. He also very strongly remembers strongly resembles a uh, anti-Castro Cuban with the same last name, Arce. Different first name. But based on photo comparison, it could be you know, it could be him. So that is the basic narrative. Now, you might be saying to yourself, that's a whole lot of trouble to go through to pull this off. But I guarantee it's something nobody ever thought of. What if, what if the whole damn scenario was a setup? Alright, you have to go back and look at this shit totally different. Alright, what if that whole part of that operation was a farce alright and they just paid these guys off to go along and do do whatever they told them to do you know hey Doherty get these guys down the elevator Shelly love lady get these guys out of the building you know in the meantime we got two rifles one on the sixth one on the fifth a Carcano and a Mauser they later go on to become one weapon the Carcano because it's tied back to Oswald thanks to Harry Holmes. Okay? I mean, it's not a lot of people that would have to be in on this. You know, maybe a handful. Maybe two handfuls. Okay? But in the big scheme of things, not a lot. And, you know, they continue the farce for a couple years. And then... That's it. You know, these guys had jobs. I mean, they were getting paid. And it wasn't a whole lot of people involved because they knew most of these people would be outside watching Kennedy go by. Or glued to the windows inside the building watching, you know. Except for that one poor sap, Lee Harvey Oswald. Because like Doug was saying on his podcast, 
about James Powell being outside making sure the passing didn't leave the building. They had to have somebody in the building to make sure that the passy didn't leave the building either. Okay? And that man was likely Eddie Piper. Now, I, of course, you also have Shelly and Love Lady and, and everybody else right on the front, right on the front steps, to make sure that he wouldn't he wouldn't have got down them. So, based on everybody's testimony, you got Vicki Adams and her testimony about what she saw. Okay. We have Otis Williams based on his testimony and what he did. We have Jack Doherty based on his testimony. We have the testimony of Norman Jarman Williams. And you can put them all together to make a different narrative about how this thing was pulled off because we haven't solved the case yet. Okay, Nobody knows exactly what happens inside that Texas School Book Depository that day. And it's imperative that we do. Because until we do, we're just going to be spinning our wheels. And I think Richard Gilbride did a great job of taking the available testimony and putting it alongside of a plausible scenario. Okay? It could have went down this way. The question is, did it? You know, once again, that's the question of this assassination. Did it? But I thought I would relate this because I, I, I truly like what he's doing, the way he looks at things differently than other researchers, and just get this out to the masses, get ears on it. So give me feedback. Go to my page, The Lone Gunman Podcast on Facebook. Feel free to leave a comment. See, I'm going to post up a bunch of pictures and, and documents for you all to look at. And please check out my buddy Doug Campbell. On his podcast, The Dallas Action, you can find him on Spreaker, find him on Facebook. He's killing it. He killed it on Black Op. He's still killing it. He's turning him out like a machine. I love listening to him, and you should too. So please, support him, support me, support the little men's. And uh, thank you all for listening. Peace out. You do it right to save because you work too hard for your money not to. Lowe's is here to help with special Labor Day savings throughout the store. When you buy a DeWalt two-tool combo kit featuring a drill and impact driver, you get a DeWalt bear tool for free. Choose from a reciprocating or circular saw, angle grinder, or 20-volt battery. And update your appliances and get up to 40% off select appliance special values. This Labor Day, do it right for less. Start with Lowe's. Tool offer valid through 828. Appliance offer valid through 911 U.S. only. You do it right to save because you work too hard for your money not to. Lowe's is here to help with special Labor Day savings throughout the store. When you buy a DeWalt two-tool combo kit featuring a drill and impact driver, you get a DeWalt bear tool for free. Choose from a reciprocating or circular saw, angle grinder, or 20-volt battery. And update your appliances and get up to 40% off select appliance special values. This Labor Day, do it right for less. Start with Lowe's. Tool offer valid through 828. Appliance offer valid through 911 U.S. only.